I start off this morning sharing with you a story about Big Ed. Big Ed goes to a revival and he listens to the preacher. And after a while, the preacher asks if anyone with needs to come forward to be prayed over. Big Ed gets in line. When it's his turn, the preacher says, Big Ed, what do you want me to pray about? Big Ed says, Preacher, I need you to pray for my hearing. So the preacher put one finger in Big Ed's ear and the other hand on top of his head, and he shouts and he hollers and he prays a while. And after a few minutes, he removes his hands and says, Big Ed, how's your hearing now? Big Ed says, I don't know, preacher. It's not until next Wednesday at the DuPage County Courthouse. Sometimes we're guilty of praying for the wrong things. If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, Paul, I think we got a little bit of an echo. Paul was praying for the Philippians, but he did not pray in error. And it's neat because in Philippians chapter 1, when he prays, you and I get the opportunity to come into Paul's pastoral study, as it were, to listen to him pray. It's a privilege to come into a godly man's study and hear him pray. But where was Paul's study? He was in prison. That's where his study was. But he prays three specific things. And we're going to look at these three aspects of biblical love that is necessary in a church for a church to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. Three aspects of biblical love that is necessary. You see, Paul is praying that the body of Christ in Philippi would follow the leadership of the head. Who is the head of the church? It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. It tells us this in Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. He is the head of the body, the church, talking about Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That Jesus would have first place in the church, in the lives of the people in the church, in everything. Wow. That's quite, quite a statement, isn't it? And with that in mind, with Christ being the head of the church, Paul is praying that the Philippians' love for each other would grow. But before our love for each other can grow, we first must grow in our love for God. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything that you have, you are to love God with. Why? Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love God first. And so Paul is concerned that Christ is the head of the church and the body belongs to the head. If Christ, and it tells us in the New Testament that Christ is love, God is love. The head is love. If the body is attached to the head, the body will be full of love. There can be no other way. 
When the church fails to love properly, it's because it has detached itself from the head. We must be connected to the head. It is vital. And so Paul is praying that they would understand that Christ is the head. And the reason I say that, and it doesn't say specifically that Paul prays that, but the reason I say that is because when you read down through the first chapter of the book of Philippians, you will find the name Christ or Christ Jesus 18 times in the first chapter. Why? Because the church centers around Jesus Christ. He says in the opening, Paul and Timothy, servants of what? Christ. He is the head, that's why. He's pointing them to the head every time he points them to the head. He talks about preaching Christ. Even people preaching Christ with the wrong motives, but Christ is preached. He is the head. And Paul was excited about that. You see, when God is preeminent in the body, there will be love, joy, and peace in that body. You cannot have people at odds with each other. People will strive to live in relationships that promote love, joy, and peace, and they will live in harmony and unity as long as they are attached to the head. When you separate yourself from the head, that's when problems happen. So, Paul, as a pastor, he models this love for the church. He tells them back in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. He's a pastor. He loves the people. And the people love him. He says, Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And he goes right back to Jesus, the head, once again. And then look at the prayer. He begins in verse 9. And this is my prayer for you, Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Again, he's pointing them to Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So three aspects of a growing biblical love that is necessary to exalt Christ and advance the gospel in the church. The first one is this. Paul prays for the character of their growing love. The character of their growing love. Look at your prayer list. Does it include a petition that our love for God would grow? You know what I would love for you to pray for me? Pray that your pastor's love for God would grow. Do you know what I'd like you to pray for our leadership? Pray that our leadership's love for God would grow. Do you know what I want us to pray for the church? Pray that our love for each other will grow. Our love for God will grow first. Because out of that love for God, our love for each other will grow automatically. It will because we're attached to the head. 
You see, everything we do in the Christian life flows out of our love for God. Our love for God touches every aspect of the Christian life. A Jesus follower's attitude toward God is impacted by his love or his lack of love for God. A Jesus follower's prayer life is influenced by his love for God or his lack of love for God in his life. A Jesus follower's heart of obedience is influenced by his love for God or his lack of love for God in his life. A Jesus follower's morality is impacted by his love for God or his lack of love for God. You see, Paul has the Philippians in his heart, but he has God in his heart first. As our love for God grows, our love for the church will grow. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. You see why? Because it flows out of our love for God. The, the body connected to the head will respond to the head. The head will direct the body. The character of growing love will be marked by two components. Sacrifice and abundance. Sacrifice and abundance. Paul is praying for the Philippians that their love for each other will grow. And he is praying that their love will be a sacrificial love. Why do I say that? Because when Paul prays that their love would abound more and more, the word for love here is agape love. Agape love is a love that God has for us. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he sacrificed his body on the cross. That's agape love. He sacrificed his life on the body of the cross. Agape love, sacrificial love. That's the kind of love that needs to exist in a church. Sacrificial love. It was exhibited by Jesus. The danger for any one of us is to have a cold, stiff, sterile heart. A heart that is not moved by someone else's pain or difficulty. A heart that does not care to minister to someone else. A heart that is wrapped up in itself and is full of selfishness. A heart that refuses to go out of its way to care for someone else. Ravi Zacharias said, when love is shallow, the heart is empty. But if the sacrifice of love is understood, one can drink deeply from its cup and be completely fulfilled. That's what love will do. It'll fill your cup. Because you're doing what God has designed the body to do. Paul is also praying not only for sacrificial love, but he's praying for an abundant love. A love marked by fullness. To have leftovers, more than enough. A surplus of love to go around the church. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it wasn't that they were just at the last crumb of bread and the last bit of fish, there was more than enough. More than enough. There's plenty of room in the family. Room for the young and the old. 
plenty of happiness, plenty of love, plenty of room in the fold. Is that true of Bethesda Church? That when people come through the doors of the church, they feel this abundance of love, this sacrificial love that wants to reach out and share and give and serve and minister to the community. This abundant love is marked by a sincere appreciation and high regard or high value. You have great appreciation and high value. You see, my appreciation and value for Tupperware is a lot different than my appreciation and value for fine china. And the reason it is different causes me to treat them differently. See, Tupperware, I don't really care what happens to Tupperware. I mean, we, we got these things, uh, we, we used to have a dog years ago, and we bought this dog food, and we got these plates in the dog food, and that's what we used to feed our boys with. Not the dog food, but we used the plates to feed them. They were clean, they were good plates, they were just hard plates that you couldn't break them. They were great for kids. Don't tell them we fed them with plates that was in dog food, but... But you could kick those things, you could throw them, you could scratch them. I mean, they just, they just wouldn't break. They were fine. Throw them in the back of the cupboard, who cares? But fine china? What do you do? You treat it differently because of its attractiveness and its beauty and its value. You see, when you and I begin to value our relationships so much, that my relationships matter, that I have appreciation, sincere appreciation, and high respect and value, I treat those relationships differently, more like fine china than a piece of used Tupperware. And that's what God wants us to do in the body of Christ. It is vital. You see, there will be a visible demonstration of care tangible expressions of compassion toward those around me. I'm reminded of the story of two boys. Kevin was age five and Joe was age three and they were at the breakfast table and they were fighting over who was going to get the first pancake. And mom overheard them fighting and mother comes over and gives her spiritual advice and says, look, boys, what would Jesus do? He would say, my brother can have the first pancake. So Kevin, being the older, wiser one, said, uh, Joe, you be Jesus. <laughs> you be Jesus. We always want somebody else to be Jesus, <laughs> to be the sacrificer. God wants us to be like Jesus. Chrissy, age six, here's how she understood love. She said, love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. And there is a sense of sacrifice in that, isn't there? You see, there's a willingness to lay down an individual personal right and a privilege for another person or a group of people. In other words, I'm not pursuing or pushing my own agenda to the point where I cause a conflict in the body of Christ. That is not God's plan for the church. That's not how biblical love is practiced in the body of Christ. 
I still have fond memories of moving to South Dakota. The number of people that helped us was unbelievable. Many of you were there. And we pulled into town. It was July 3rd, 2010. It was a holiday weekend. And mobs of you were at our house, in every room of our house, in the garage, setting up uh, shelving. And we had two guys, Alan and Jordan Hom, rode their motorcycles all the way from here to Huron, or I mean to uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, to help us move to Huron. These two big burly guys come walking up our driveway. I have no idea who they are. I'm like, they can't be the guys. <laughs> But they were. I was a little scared, honestly. I was a little intimidated. I mean, I saw these guys come and I thought, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but it was wonderful. And then Dwayne Decker. Dwayne, I'm sure you remember this. You mailed us, shipped us three radios that we could talk. And we put them in the trucks, and we, uh, the two trucks, and put them in the van. We were cracking jokes back and forth and talking and Alan was probably at that point wondering, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> but it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see the body of Christ. And it was, it was biblical love in action. It really was. I can still see it. Um, so thank you. It's a fond memory of coming here and feeling that love and value and appreciation it was there. And many of you have done many things for us since then. I hate to mention it because I couldn't mention everybody by name. But thank you. Um, there's a sacrifice that we give and God calls us to. Let's consider some ways we can sacrifice. How about sacrificing my time to listen to someone share their burdens and struggles with me? That's a sacrifice, but it's an act of love. To set aside time to listen to someone who has a burden, who has a struggle, and, but you've got all these 20 things to do, but you sacrifice your time because you want to minister and be there with that person. How about sacrificing to make a meal for someone who's sick? How important is that? How about sacrificing to visit someone in the nursing home? They're part of the body of Christ. Some of them were very faithful in the body of Christ. And they, they would love to be in the church, but they can't get here because of physical limitations. But if you went and you sat down with them for 30 minutes and listened to them and shared with them, that would be an act of sacrificial love that would minister incredible ways to them. How about visiting another church family and praying for them? Little Rebecca, who was eight years old, she recalled her grandmother struggling with arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so she said her grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. She said, that is love. You see, the character of growing love is marked by sacrifice and abundance. Let's look at the second aspect of biblical love. The second aspect is Paul prays for the conditions for their growing love. First, it was the character, their sacrifice and their abundance. 
Now he prays for the conditions for their growing love. You see, love doesn't just grow automatically. There has to be some intentional effort. Things just don't grow. God causes things to grow. Plants grow, but plants need light, heat, moisture, nutrients, soil. It needs all those things for the photosynthetic process, right, to develop so that a plant can grow healthy and escape disease and be all that it's intended to be. Insects, animals. I remember in fourth grade, I think it was, we did a science project, and I caught these two praying mantises. And I put them in a, one of those big Miracle Whip jars. It was empty. Well, I put grass in it and stuff so they could eat. And I, and I put it in the classroom, and I had the holes punched in the lid and left it in there over the weekend. When I came in on Monday, I was shocked. There was only one praying mantis left. The other one got out of the jar, but not alive. He was eaten. I had no idea they were cannibals. I learned something in science. Don't put praying mantises together. But there are certain conditions that have to be met for love to grow. What are those conditions? The conditions for growing love is marked by knowledge and depth of insight. These are the conditions. And this is where sometimes the church fails because we don't grow in knowledge and depth of insight. You see, this knowledge is a thorough participation in the inquiring of knowledge on the part of the learner. In other words, it takes effort. You don't just grow by sitting there attending church. That's not going to grow you enough. It has to be intentional, and it is not automatic. We have to have a deeper knowledge today. We should have a deeper knowledge today than we had last year of God's will. We should grow in the knowledge of God's will. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 1.9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prayed for that knowledge, but he also studied and read the scriptures. We cannot know the will of God apart from that. We need to be men and women who are praying for the will of God in our lives, in our church, in our families. You see, the opposite of knowing God's will is that our minds will be consumed with futile thinking. And Paul talked about that in Romans. He said, although they knew God, they had some knowledge of God, they did not honor Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking because they did not grow in a knowledge of God and their foolish hearts were darkened. And unfortunately, there are scores of people sitting in pews across churches in America who don't grow in the knowledge of God because they don't take time to sit at his feet. They don't take time to pray and seek the Lord. 
And feudal thinking causes this inability to grasp. Here's what feudal thinking does. It causes us to have an inability to grasp what we are supposed to love and what we are not supposed to love. You see, so many people are in love with the world, and the Bible says don't love the world. <laughs> Anyone who loves the world is not a friend of God. So, but we start loving the wrong things because our thinking is futile. And pretty soon, what happens? Worship isn't a priority anymore. There are other things that are more important that I love more than I love God. Paul's saying, that's not my prayer for the Philippians. I want them to be so consumed with the love of God and the love of his people, they can't wait to be together to worship the Lord. You see, feudal thinking can confuse us in who we are to love and how we are to love. I have seen so many young people who said, you know, they start this relationship with a person and they say they love this person and this person doesn't even love God. They're loving the wrong person in the wrong way. Their love is a misplaced love. We need to grow in the knowledge of God's will and we need to grow in the knowledge of the truth. Here's what Paul says in Timothy, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I don't know any other way to do it than to sit down and open the scriptures and read it and have the discipline to say, this is important enough for me to make it a priority. The value and appreciation I put on scripture is important because it's my breath. It's my food. It's my drink. Otherwise, I collapse. The knowledge of the truth I can't love the way I'm supposed to without a knowledge of the truth. The opposite of knowledge is ignorance. Not just intellectual ignorance, but a moral defect. A willful, willful ignorance or blindness. See, here's what the scripture teaches me about love. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I don't wrong a person because they did something to me. Love is the fulfilling of the law. I learned that from Scripture, not my own intellect. And that's why I need to be in God's Word. It teaches us how to live. The second component of knowledge oops, let me back up just a second, is depth of insight. Depth of insight. Notice what he says. This is my prayer. Your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Depth of insight has to do with perception. Perception with the senses as well as the mind. I now have a mental ability to understand and discriminate between relations. I know I can sense who's following the Lord and who's not, who I should be hanging with and who I should not be hanging with. Why? Because I have this spiritual insight that God has given me, that I abstain from the appearance of evil, and I cling to that which is good. It is knowledge based on experience. 
This depth of insight or discernment will guide me in how I should best behave. I love the illustration that Tim Keller gives in his book on prayer. He tells a story, it's an imaginative story. He says, imagine an eight-year-old boy. He's playing with a toy truck and the toy truck breaks. He's disconsolate and he cries out to his parents to fix it. Yet as he's crying, his father says to him, a distant relative you've never met has just died and they left you $100 million. What will the child's reaction be? He will just cry louder until his truck is fixed because <laughs> he's eight years old. He does not have the mental capacity, enough cognitive capacity to realize his true condition and be consoled. In the same way, Tim Keller goes on to say that Christians lack the spiritual capacity to realize all we have in Jesus. And when we fail to realize all we have in Jesus, we start grabbing for other stuff to be satisfied. This is the reason Paul prays that God would give the Christians the spiritual ability to grasp the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of Christ's salvation. The truth is there's layers to our lives. So for us to be able to love well, we need a deeper knowledge of God's will and God's truth. To love a person well, we also need to take time to hear their story, understand their history, to know why they are acting the way they are acting now. Don't just judge them from across the room. You need to grow in your depth of insight. He says solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's depth of insight. You see, the closer we get to God, the more we love God, the more we should have this discernment of evil so that if it just has a, just a, a, a tinge of evil, I get away from it because it's going to hinder my love for God. Isn't that what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? He ran out of her presence and he said, I am getting out of here. How could I possibly do this wickedness before God? That's where God wants us. His love for God superseded anything else. Knowledge and insight are found in Christ. And is consistent with scripture. These two virtues, knowledge and insight, will provide a collective environment which fosters growth. If either is lacking, there will be a lack of love in the church. So let me challenge you on your calendar. Mark off a specific time to spend with the Lord. You could listen to scripture as you exercise on the treadmill or go for a run. You could take a few minutes at lunch to pray over the needs on the prayer sheet. You could memorize scripture by writing it out on a three by five card and carry it in your pocket so that you are taking in scripture. Knowing and living go hand in hand. Failure to grow in the knowledge God expects of Christians hinders love. 
And similarly, failure to discipline the moral life hinders love. Attention to both of these virtues will promote a healthy and positive Christian life. Let me do the last one quickly. The third aspect of biblical love that Paul prays for is he prays for the consequences of their growing love. Notice it's a growing love. It's a progressive thing where we grow in our understanding. The consequences. The reason for this growing love Paul prayed for is that the Philippians would have a complete character. Notice he says in verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Discern what is best. You examine it, you judge it, you test it, you approve it to be right or commendable. You are discerning what is best. Paul said this in Romans, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, knowledge, truth in our mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God doesn't want us to be confused at all. He wants us to be filled with his knowledge. You regard something as worthy or genuine on the basis of testing. So you will choose the things that are more valuable. Sometimes it means you have to turn the TV off so you can spend quality time with the Lord. Maybe you need to take a spiritual gifts inventory to find out what your spiritual gift is so that you are using it in the body of Christ. There are two character traits Paul desires the Philippians to display and for us as well. He says that you may be pure and blameless. Pure means sincere, unmixed, genuine, unadulterated, sun-tested. They would, in Bible times, they would take a piece of pottery and they would hold it up in the bright sun because when they held it in the bright sun, they could see if it had been repaired with wax. The wax would stand out in the bright sun. And here's what Paul is saying. Our lives would be so pure that when it's held up to the bright sun, there's no wax. We're genuine. God has done a work in us. There's no skeletons in the closet. There's nothing to hide. My life is free of evil. It's uncontaminated. I don't harbor secret sin that no one else knows about. I don't live a double life. I'm pure. Because how am I going to love? How am I going to open myself if I have stuff inside? That's when we run and we hide. Paul said, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and man. That's what God desires in our lives. The second aspect is blameless, that we are clear, not perfect. Nobody's perfect. 
told you we live in a broken world. We have broken pieces. The sad part is, is when we start focusing on one another's brokenness instead of focusing on Christ. Blameless. You're not causing other people to stumble. You don't have a habitual, sinful lifestyle that would betray your profession of Christ. There's no discrepancies between what you say and what you do. You're not careless in relationships with your speech, causing someone else to stumble. And he tells us that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So what is the challenge that we would grow in biblical love and honor the Lord? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just ask you, where are you at in these three aspects of biblical love? What is God saying to you? What is he challenging you to do? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you love God with all your heart? If you don't, you won't have proper love for your brothers and sisters in Christ because it flows out of that. The body is connected to the head. Maybe you don't even have a personal relationship with God. You don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Sacrificial love. You and I could have a relationship with him, be reconciled to a holy God based on his grace and his forgiveness of our sin. All we have to do is accept it and say, God, I'm a sinner. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Shed your blood that I could be forgiven and become your child. You can invite him into your life right now if you don't know him. And those of us who do know him, what is God asking you to do? To grow We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.